You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast. I'm Brian Hemming. You're joined today by leading mixed martial arts odds maker Nick Kalikas of Circus Sports to break down this Saturday's UFC 261 event, which takes place in Jacksonville, Florida. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. UFC 261 features a 13 fight card in total and will be aired on ESPN Plus, ESPN2, ESPN, and Pay Per View this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off on the preliminary card is a women's strawweight fight featuring Ariane Carnalosi, who is 12 and 2, and Na Liang, who is 15 and 4. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? As always, a couple quick shout outs and information before we get rolling here. Make sure you head over to MMAOddsBreaker.com and check out the opening odds article for UFC 261 done by Adam Martin. That's where I'm quoting the opening prices from, the market-wide opening betting odds. And the updated odds are coming from Circa Sports here in Las Vegas. If you're in Colorado as well, we have Circa Sports app available to you guys. So if you're in Nevada, in Colorado, make sure you definitely check out Circa Sports. That's where these updated betting lines are at. Now, that being said, also... We have UFC Fight Pass. Check out UFC on the line for UFC 261. We did our betting show for this card, and all of my official plays are located on that show, so make sure you check it out. Again, head over to UFC Fight Pass and check out UFC 261 on the line. Now, getting right into the fights here, should be an exciting card. A lot of unknowns, though, on the preliminary portion of this card. A lot of, I think, fighters that have question marks and not a lot of info. So if you're betting, especially the prelims on this card, I would be cautious from top to bottom, to be honest with you. But getting into the first fight, Carnelosi opened minus 150, the comeback on Liang at plus 130. Now over at Circus Sports, we are currently seeing the price with Carnelosi at minus 200, the comeback on Liang at plus 175. So immediate action coming in on Carnelosi. She's been bet up. A lot of people are still betting her even at around minus 200 or so. Stylistically, this should be a pretty good matchup. I mean, if she's able to keep this fight on the feet, I think she's going to have success. She's physical. She's strong. She has power. Liang is more of a grappling-based fighter. She wants to get this fight to the floor. She doesn't have the greatest takedown ability, though, as well. And I think Carnelosi has the takedown defense to probably dictate and control where this fight goes. So I get why people pounced on that opening number and are betting Carnelosi. I'm going to pick her to win this fight. But she could get some problems if Leanne could get her game going, maybe get top position, or even off her back, she does have a good rubber guard, and she's capable of throwing up arm bars and triangle chokes and that sort of thing as well. So Cardelosi has to be careful if this fight hits the floor, but I think she's good to go on the feed. She probably ends up winning this fight, maybe even by stoppage along the way. So my pick will be Cardelosi, but at this point, if you're laying over 2-1, to one, just be a little bit more careful. And I'm right with you. Um, I'm just not that impressed with Nah. I mean, you look at who she's faced, and the the one time she faced somebody that was UFC caliber, she got defeated pretty easily. And the other three times, it seems like that she stepped up her competition level, she got finished. Um, I just don't really think she's that good. She's kind of a submission or broke type of fighter. And as long as Carnalasi isn't stupid here and pl- jump into the fire, 
Um, she should be able to outstrike Na pretty easily. Um, Na is just very one-dimensional, but that one dimension isn't horrific. So uh, if Carnalosi leaves, you know, an arm exposed or leaves some space for Na to jump on a guillotine or try to latch on to some sort of submission, there is a path to victory here for Na. But uh, I think Carnalosi is definitely the better fighter here, by far the better striker. So if she's able to keep this upright, she should win convincingly, or she will win convincingly. But if it goes to the ground, you know, you ne- you don't know. You never know. I mean, Carnalosi's not terrible on the ground, so she might even be the better grappler here. And we have seen Na get uh, finished by submission before, too, pretty quickly uh, against a good grappler. But uh, I just have a lot more faith in Carnalosi on the feet. Um, I'm a little worried about her not having fought in almost two months, but or almost two years, but I think that she, this is the right opponent as long as she doesn't make a, a big mistake on the ground. So Carnalosi probably wins by TKO. Next up, we have a flyweight contest featuring Jeff Molina, who is eight and two, and Killing Aori, who is 18 and six. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Aori open minus 115, Molina minus 105. And right now over at Circus Sports, we're seeing Molina minus 115, Aori at minus 105. So line flip, but there is two action coming in this fight. It's a basically a pickup type of fight, which is kind of fair. I think we're going to see an exciting back and forth type of fight here. I mean, Aori, I think, really could bring it as far as the stand-up game goes. He has a little bit of power. He has a well-rounded game in his own right. Um, he pushes a pretty high pace. He seems to be fairly durable. Um, Molina on the other side of it, I mean, I think he put on a, a quite a performance on Dana White's Contender Series. That was a, just a classic, and I think the sky's the limit for him. He's only 23 years old. He has a good coach behind him in James Krause and crew over there in Kansas City. I, I only expect him to get better and better and get more confident now that he's here in the UFC. So I think this is going to be a war, a back-and-forth type of battle, and this fight could possibly take place in all areas, meaning on the floor, obviously up against the cage and the clinch, and then in space, I think Molina's going to have a slight edge there too. So I just think Molina is the better mixed martial artist. He should be a slight favorite coming into this bout i'm going to pick them to win and what should be a pretty exciting battle um and again i think that both these guys will be solid at 125 and moving forward in the future but i think this is molina's fight to win or lose so i'm going to pick them now uh aori comes from the the same promotion that na fought in uh the the wlf promotion in china and i think the the coolest thing about him is his nickname uh, the mongolian murderer i mean that's just an awesome awesome nickname but uh, in terms of actual skill level, I feel like he's powerful on the feet, but not particularly seasoned of a technical striker. Um, it seems like he just wings bombs. Like, uh, And Molina is a much more technical striker. I mean, you saw that in his fight on Contender Series against uh, Jacob Silva. While he didn't win by knockout, um, he pieced up Silva over the course of three rounds and earned a UFC contract with a decision, which is pretty rare. You have to really look good to earn a UFC contract with a decision on that show. And I feel like that's kind of what's going to happen here. I mean, Aori is the type of guy that's going to be pushing forward and throwing haymakers, and Molina should be able to avoid those. And then I think he's just going to start lighting Aori up uh, and countering really effectively because he's going to see those shots coming a mile away because they practically will be. So I don't really think this one goes to the the floor. I think it's primarily going to be a stand-up fight and Molina just 
outpoints Aori over the course of three rounds. Um, Aori does have the a little bit more power than Molina, so if he does connect with one of those nasty shots, then he could win. But I think the most likely outcome here is Molina just countering and avoiding the big bomb and outpointing Aori for 15 straight minutes and uh, winning by decision. Now, moving up to the lightweight division, we have Zhu Rong, who is 17 and 3, taking on Rodrigo Vargas, who is 11 and 4. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Wrong open minus 250, Vargas at plus 210. And right now, looking over at Circus Sports, we have wrong minus 250, the comeback on Vargas at plus 215. So not a lot of action on this fight at all, to be honest with you. I think a lot of people are kind of scratching their heads. But this should be another exciting fight. Again, two people that are well-rounded, two people that like to stand and bang, two people that like to take the fight to the floor when they have the opportunity, and two people that are fake, capable of finishing the fight anywhere it goes. So, man, I, I'm leaning a little bit more towards wrong in this fight as well. I think he's the better striker, and his takedown defense is constantly improving. He's only 21 years old. Uh, he's facing a vet kind of in Vargas. I mean, even though he's still new towards to the UFC, he's 35 years old. Um, he's fighting much younger. I don't think he looks like an old man or anything out there, but he's still hitting that spot where I think he's going to plateau a little bit quicker and wrong is going to continue to impress and get better. But again, there's a lot of question marks surrounding the level of competition for these guys outside of the UFC at times. So I don't know how confident you can be, but for me, from everything that I've seen, I think wrong is the better striker here. I think he probably does keep it upright and it lands the more damaging blows along the way. I'm expecting it to be competitive, though. So at the price tag, it's kind of tough. It's probably a dog or pass situation. I don't think you can lay wrong at minus 250 or above. I'll probably stay away from it. Watch it. should be another exciting fight. And, uh, I mean, like I said, I, I think all signs are pointing to wrong coming in here and impressing. And, and at age 21, I mean, just imagine what this guy is going to be like if he continues to improve and get quality fights and quality experience like he's going to get against Vargas here. So my pick is wrong, and I'm looking forward to seeing this 21-year-old progress. And I have a little bit more confidence in wrong than uh, than you, Nick. Um, I think this kid is extremely promising. I mean, he's the number one ranked lightweight out of China at just 20 one years old. Um, he's already had 20 professional fights at that age too, which is just ridiculous. I mean, he's, he's literally been fighting as a professional for five years already. So he got started early. Um, he took his lumps a little bit early in his career and he is on a huge win streak. I think about 10 in a row right now. And, uh, nine of them have been by finish and it's not like he's fighting bums either. Like he's not fighting like, you know, household names, but it is in that WLF promotion again, but I mean, he's facing decent opposition. I mean, 17 and 5, 18 and 5, 19 and 4, 7 and 2, 3 and 0. I mean, he, he's reaching out and trying to find some of the better guys in his area, and he is just demolishing them. So I think this guy has a lot of potential. He looks polished on the feet. Uh, I mean, he looks put together like like he's got some serious serious potential in this division and you combine that with his age i think this is a very very promising prospect in the lightweight division and uh you know vargas is a good opponent for him because um while he is 0 and 2 in the ufc it's not like he's a complete bum either you know he's a, a combate veteran he, he looked good on uh uh in his last fight, he was he was doing pretty well against Brock Weaver and then uh, lost by disqualification. So um, that 0-2 record is a little deceiving. Um, he's got power. Um, the thing is, though, 
Both guys are capable on the ground, but I think that they're good enough to kind of neutralize each other a little bit. So I think this fight stays standing and wrong just gets the better of him. I think, uh, wrong has the, the technique. I think he's got the speed. I think, uh, you know, this guy, the, the, the future is very, very bright for him. So I'm going to go wrong possibly, probably by uh, stoppage at some point. Um, so, uh, wrong TKO is going to be my pick. Now, dropping down to the Bantamweight division, we have Dana Batgarel, who is 8-2, and two, taking on Kevin Natividad, who is 9-2. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Batgarel opened minus 150, the comeback on Natividad at plus 130. And right now over at Circus Sports, we're seeing Batgarel all the way up at minus 190, the comeback on Natividad at plus 165. Some more faith in Batgarel. In this spot coming in, I mean, he's coming off of a very impressive performance over Kennedy. Got that KO finish. His stand-up game is definitely legit. He's a guy you have to respect. I mean, he's got that kind of power and the technique and the accuracy that he's going to put your lights out if, if you let him land and, and kind of get comfortable in the pocket and, and kind of get his groove. Natividad, on the other hand, coming off that disappointing knockout loss to Johns, that's the second time now he's been knocked out in his career. So there is a question a little bit about durability and defense, of course. Uh, but as far as offensive goes, man, I mean, his offensive production a lot of times is pretty solid. Natividad is a good fighter, has power on the feet as well. So this should be a fun fight while it lasts. I just think you have to side with Batagrel in this spot because we have seen him be a little bit more durable. And if this is a firefight, I do trust him a little bit more here. But again, as it creeps up to minus 200 or so, I, I don't know if you can bet it, though. I think this is going to be a very competitive fighter to go back and forth. And both these guys, like I said, like to stand and bang. So whoever lands clean first could win it, even though I think Batagrel is a little bit more durable here. So my pick is Batagrel. I think he does probably get it done and possibly by highlight reel finish but should be competitive while it lasts. So be careful betting this fight. And I'm thinking the same way. I mean, both of these guys are very talented and both are very exciting. Um, I mean, they like to, to press forward and throw big strikes. I mean, you look at uh, Natividad's career, it's primarily him getting quick stoppage victories with his hands. I mean, this guy likes to throw down um, and he's not afraid to, uh, you know, get hit either. I mean, we've seen it. Uh, he's kind of a, a live or die by, by the fists. Um, earlier in his career in LFA, you know, he got knocked out by Glenn Baker in the first round. And then most recently, uh, Miles Johns landed a beautiful uppercut in the third round to take him out. So we have seen when he does lose, um, it is by, you know, TKO or knockout. So I think uh, these guys are going to be in the pocket, flying heat at each other and that first big shot that lands is probably going to be the winner um and i think that more often than not it's going to be baccarel as nick said because he's shown to be more durable i mean when he's lost so far it's it's prime it's been by a decision um so i mean natividad i think is going to have to land a couple extra shots to take him out compared to baccarel who uh, has shown some nasty power as well with that last uh, knockout of uh, Kennedy. So, and I think, uh, you know, Baccarel has shown that he has a, a little bit of a ground game too. So uh, with a, with a couple of uh, rear naked chokes to his name. So, I mean, he might be able to mix it up if need be too. So I just think uh, Baccarel's the more well-rounded fighter. I think he's the more durable fighter. They both hit extremely hard, but I just think if they're both landing those big shots, it's going to be Natividad that goes down first. So uh, this is possibly my pick for fight of the night, but 
uh, I'm going to go with Baccarel by, by TKO. Now, moving up to the featherweight division, we have Tristan Connolly, who is 14 and 6, taking on Pat Sabatini, who is 13 and 3. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Conley opened minus 125 over Sabatini at plus 105. And right now over Circus Sports, we have Sabatini at minus 235, the comeback on Conley at plus 200. So needless to say, the betters did not allow Sabatini to be an underdog. Rightfully so. He should be a slight favorite in this fight. I agree with it. I mean, this is a very intriguing fight. Last time we saw Conley was obviously a few years back in September of 2019, and he was fighting at welterweight. So now we're back 2021. He's dropping all the way down to featherweight, which he's had experience in the past before his UFC debut, obviously, at featherweight. So he's making the return to that weight class, which is going to be interesting. Sabatini, on the other hand, I mean, he's one of these prospects that's finally making it over to the UFC. Very excited to have him here because I think he brings a lot to the table. I mean, this guy pushes a pretty high pace. He's got a wrestling background. He's got good striking. He's got that kind of karate type of stance and style about him on the feet a little bit. But he mixes things up and he uses his striking effectively to close the distance against some takedowns and then has a pretty good grappling game to go along with it. So this should be a classic because Conley is that savvy vet. I have a lot of respect for him. He's tough. He's gritty. He's got decent fight IQ overall. So this is a good test for Sabatini to come in here and impress really. And I think he probably does so, but it'll be competitive for a while. Again, Conley's going to be, I think one of the toughest fights of Sabatini's career. And it is interesting. And there's question marks behind Conley to see what kind of shape he's going to be in, how he looks at 145 now, since, you know, like I said, it's been a few years uh, since we last, last seen him. So Looking forward to this one. I just think Sabatini is going to be a bit too much for Conley in this spot, but should be a good fight. So my pick, Sabatini to win. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy that Connolly came in as an underdog in his last fight and picked up a quality win at welterweight of all weight classes, drops two weight classes, and I'm going to pick against him again. Like, I feel for the guy. I mean, he's getting no respect. Um, he had, He's shown, you know, he's got some really good wrestling. He's durable. He's tough. Um, and he's got some decent conditioning. So uh, there's a lot going for him here. But Sabatini is an extremely accomplished grappler. I mean, if this guy gets a hold of you, you are in big, big trouble. Out of his 13 wins, 10 are by submission. Then uh, he's fought at a high level against solid fighters. So I really feel like Connolly's going to have his hands full if he tries to wrestle with this guy. Um, I mean, he wins by armbar. He wins by rear naked choke. He wins by heel hook multiple times. So, and uh, Connolly's last loss was a heel hook. So that's something you, you got to be careful with. Um, and despite Connolly dropping two weight classes, I mean, granted, you know, he wasn't a natural welterweight. Um, I feel like you know, Sabatini's really not going to be giving up that much size. He's only like an inch or two shorter. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, and Sabatini should be the better striker as well. The only real big advantage Connolly has is I think his wrestling is going to be better. But is he really going to be able to take Sabat? Is Connolly really going to be able to take Sabatini down and stay on top of him for three straight rounds or at least two out of three without getting finished? And I'm just not convinced. I think uh, Sabatini is a rock-solid addition to the featherweight weight class. Um, I mean, this guy can strike. He can grapple. He's got nasty submissions. Um, he seems like the complete package. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of Sabatini, and I think uh, he's going to do well in the UFC. And while this is a, a tough fight for him, 
it's a it's a good matchup for him, and uh, I don't see Connolly being able to smother him for three straight rounds. So my pick is going to be Sabatini. I think he taps him out. Now moving up to the middleweight division, we have Brendan Allen, who is fifteen and four, taking on Carl Roberson, who is nine and three. Now Nick, what's the MMA oddsmakers' perspective on this one? Allen opened minus 205, the comeback on Roberson at plus 175. Right now over Circus Sports, we're seeing Allen at minus 165, the comeback on Roberson at plus 145. Now the line was lower. We're starting to get action back on Allen at this point. So there is a lot of two-way action market-wide coming into this fight with the initial action coming in towards Roberson and now the action coming back in towards Allen. This is a head-scratcher too, man. I mean, I wish I had more confidence in Allen in this spot. I know a lot of bettors right now are betting him and it should be the right side, meaning that Allen gets his fight to the floor. It's a wrap. His ground game is so dominant, he should be able to submit Roberson. There's no question about it. But I think Allen is kind of hit or miss. I mean, if you look historically throughout his career, not just in the UFC, but pre-UFC, this guy has showed up, looked great at times, and then there's other spots where you're like, was that the same Brendan Allen that we're used to? And it's not. So I, I think consistency is the biggest concern for me with Allen, but he does have a dominant, dominant ground game, and that's his path to victory here. And he knows it. He's going to try to utilize it. It's up to Roberson to sprawl, brawl, keep this fight upright, and knock Allen out. I think he definitely can do that. Allen's not bad on the feet offensively. I mean, he's definitely getting better and he's improving, but... Make no mistake, it's a ground where he wants to be here. He knows it. Everybody knows it. Roberson knows it. But Roberson fight IQ sometimes is a head-scratcher in its own right. And if he cannot keep this fight upright, he's getting beat. So that's why Allen is favored. I'm going to pick him to win because I think he probably does get this fight to the floor. But my confidence level is not high. I think, you know, for me, if I have to lay minus 165 or take plus 45 at this point, I would probably side with a dog here, if that makes sense, which is crazy. But I just don't have a lot of trust in either guy at this point, honestly. So the pick would be Allen because I do think he wins by submission at the betting window. Good luck. And I'm going to go Allen as well. Main thing here is Roberson, as good as he is offensively, he struggles on the defensive end. Uh, especially submission defense. And Allen is an extremely accomplished grappler. He's submitted some pretty good fighters, including Kevin Holland. So if he can get Roberson down and put him in a position where he's having to defend himself, I just don't think he's going to be able to do that. That being said, Roberson hits really hard. Um, and, I mean, he, in a light heavyweight fight, almost finished Glover Teixeira in the first round. And Teixeira is now fighting for the light heavyweight title. So, I mean, this guy was this close to, to putting away the, the, the title challenger, the two-time title challenger. Um, and uh, Roberson uh, and Allen did get TKO'd in his last fight. So uh, he, he, he struggled to get the fight to the floor against Strickland, and Strickland lit him up on the feet and, put, and took him out. So if... Allen is not aggressively pursuing the takedown and able to close that distance easily, then uh, Roberson might have some success on the feet and uh, he could put him out. So I'm definitely a nervous picking Allen because I'm not sure how he's going to respond to that loss because um, that was a pretty bad loss. But uh, I still think that he has the skills to beat somebody like Roberson who is vulnerable to submissions. So my pick is going to be Allen, but I'm definitely going to be cautious here. Now, dropping down to the welterweight division, we have Dwight Grant, who is 10-3, taking on Stefan Sekulik, who is 12-3. Who is... Hang on. Now, dropping down to the welterweight division, we have Dwight Grant, who is 10-3, and 
taking on Stefan Sekulich, who is 12 and 3. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Grant opened minus 300. The comeback on Sekulik at plus 250. And right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports, Grant minus 190. The comeback on Sekulik at plus 165. Man, this is another interesting fight for sure. I mean, Grant opened minus 300. Sekulich plus 250. And right now what we're seeing at Circus Sports is Grant minus 190. The comeback on Sekulich at plus 165. Another tough one, man. I mean, I understand the dog actually coming in on Sekulich early on causing this line to drop. It's hard to trust in Grant. I mean, his ability for sure on the feet, it's fun to watch him fight when he lets it go, when he gets in his groove, when he gets comfortable, he has finishing ability. There's a lot to like about Grant. Has decent takedown defense to go along with this, and more times than not, he can't keep it up right now to strike his opponents. But he fights the level of his competition. He's been a little bit up and down, and we want to see him do better things, I think, and we're expecting that. But now at age 36, he's not getting any younger, so we'll see if he ever gets to that point that we expected him to be at. Um, He has a very tough test ahead of him. I, th- I think uh, Sekulich is one of these guys that's underrated despite him coming in and losing his UFC debut. I think there's a lot to offer for this guy. He's only 29 years old. He's getting better for sure. He's a southpaw. He has decent stand-up skills. I, I don't think he's as advanced as Grant uh, as far as offense goes. I think Grant's offense is a little bit better, but Sekulich is definitely a threat on the feet, meaning with his knockout power, with that southpaw stance, he can do some damage, I think, and he looks to take the fight to the floor, and he definitely has a better grappling game than Grant. So if Grant cannot keep this fight off the ground, Sekulich definitely has a big edge, but I'm just thinking this fight's going to be competitive from start to finish. I think we probably do see it hit the scorecards. Um, I mean, these guys are capable of finishing. We've seen that time and time again as well, but I think it'll be kind of a back-and-forth type of battle, and I think both guys are going to have their moments. So as far as a pure pick goes, if this was a coin flip fight, I lean a little bit more towards Grant because I think his striking offense and his takedown defense will probably win this fight. But at the betting line, I mean, like I said, all the people coming in on the dog price with Sekulich was probably the right way to go. Even at this point, I don't think I could trust myself laying minus 190, minus 200 on Grant. So it's probably a dog or pass situation, uh, but I'm going to lean Grant as far as a pure pick. Yeah, that's the main thing here for me as well. I I just think that Grant is overall the more skilled fighter. Um, with uh, Sekulich, basically he stepped up on short notice to take on uh, Ramazan Amiv, and that was two and a half years ago. So we really haven't seen that much out of him. Um, he struggled with Amiv's wrestling. I, that's not going to be a problem here, so... If this fight stays standing, it could get interesting because while Grant is an extremely dangerous striker, sometimes he just doesn't show up. I mean, we've seen it. Uh, you know, the loss to Zach Otto. Um, and then that last fight, he started amazing against Rodriguez, a, a really good fighter, and then just let up, let off the gas enough to op- leave a window open for Rodriguez to get him back. So, um, the potential is there for Grant to be great, but he just repeatedly, uh, you know, doesn't live up to it. So me, my hesitancy here is more about Grant's performance than about anything Sekulich is going to bring to the table. Um, so I really was not that impressed with Sekulich's performance in his debut. There's not that much about his game that really impresses me, but if Grant repeats history here, maybe he starts really strong against Sekulich, hurts him, can't put him away, leaves an opening. So, or 
you know, maybe he's concerned about something and, and it gets in his own head and he just sits back and lets Sekulich dictate the pace of the fight. So those are all little things that I'm worried about happening here. But overall, I still feel like Grant is the better fighter and he hits harder and he's got a nasty reach. He should win. So I'm picking Grant, but I just have a lack of faith in him, I guess. Now, moving on to the preliminary card headliner in the welterweight division, we have Randy Brown, who is 12 and 4, taking on Alex Oliveira, who is 22 and 9. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Brown open minus 145, Oliveira plus 125 at Circus Sports. We currently have Brown. At minus 145, Oliveira plus 125. Very solid opener, it seems. Line kind of holding steady there. Man, I, I wish we could get a consistency gauge on Oliveira, like, or as a read as far as how serious he is coming into this fight, what kind of shape he's in or whatnot. I mean, if we had better information, um, I would be a little bit more confident in this spot. But styles make fights, and I think this is going to be an exciting fight. Randy Brown is definitely on the rise as far as improving. I mean, he's, he's been in the UFC long enough now and we've seen his skill progression. I mean, he's got that frame and the size and the ability and skill set to make life miserable for a lot of these guys at 170. Um, I know he's coming off of that, you know, loss to Luke. Luke is at the top of the food chain, obviously though, in the welterweight division. So that's not necessarily a bad loss, uh, but Brown as a whole has looked pretty impressive. Again, he has got that length that you have to worry about on the feet or on the ground. I mean, and he's got the ability to finish the fight anywhere it takes place. Um, so, I do think that Oliveira is going to have to be careful here, but I do think Oliveira is more dangerous. I think he's the better striker on the feet. He could be more effective. I think Oliveira is probably the better wrestler in this spot, and he's probably the better ground fighter. Defensively, I'm not so sure. Defensively, again, in fight IQ, Oliveira is a concern sometimes. So, But with all that being said, it's hard for me not to like Oliveira in this spot to pull off the slight upset because I do think he's the better mixed martial artist here, and I do think that he can possibly finish Brown before he hits the scorecards or do enough if we see the Oliveira that comes in shape and is okay on the scorecards. Look, if we see the Oliveira that shows up, for example, I mean, to make one a little bit more clear, Peter Sabata, which was only a few fights back for um, Oliveira, obviously, he showed up and he looked great in that fight. I mean – that was a difficult fight. Sabata's a lot better than a lot of, uh, I think, a lot of fans are giving him credit for. So if he shows up and we get that version of Oliveira, I think he wins his fight against Brown. But again, it, there's a big if, right, because of the inconsistency throughout his career. So I think he's going to show up. I think he's going to fight well, and I think it's his fight to win or lose. So I'm going to pick Oliveira. And I respect the Oliveira pick. It's just I feel like Randy Brown is a little bit better of a fighter. Uh, I think Brown's ground game is legit. Um, he's long and really difficult to deal with. And on the feet, he's got those long limbs. Again, difficult to deal with. I think that he, it's a it's a tricky matchup here for Oliveira. Now, if he can get inside and start cracking on the feet, uh, Brown definitely is susceptible to getting knocked out. We've seen it a couple times now. Um and Oliveira does have a couple sneaky uh, moments with his grappling that maybe he could catch Brown with something as well. But I think for the most part, you got to favor Brown if it goes to the canvas. And if Brown can fight from distance properly or also get it into the clinch where those long elbows and knees could come into play, he's going to be really, really dangerous here. Now, I'm not convinced that Brown's going to be able to get a submission or a stoppage. So I'm going to be nervous the whole way that Oliveira could crack him and knock him out at any moment. But 
Uh, I do think that Brown is the more skilled fighter here. Um, you know, Oliveira, while maybe he's not in a decline yet, but he's at least plateauing at this point in his career. And I still think that Brown, who, uh, you know, just turned 30 and has, you know, these crazy, uh, uh, physical dimensions, uh, being six foot three at welterweight, I still think that he could perhaps still be on the rise. So I'm going to go with Randy Brown, but again, I'm going to be nervous that Oliveira clips him the whole fight. Now, this brings us to the main card and moving up to the light heavyweight division. We have Anthony Smith, who is 34 and 16, taking on Jimmy Crute, who is 12 and 1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Crute open minus 155, Smith plus 135. Right now over at Circus Sports, we are seeing Crute minus 220, the comeback on Smith at plus 190. So more action coming in on Crute. I believe it's right. I mean, Anthony Smith, I have a ton of respect for him, especially how far he made it in his UFC career, getting that title shot against John Jones, getting wins over the likes of Gustafson. I mean, this guy, at one point of his career, he was almost a journeyman fighter that was trying to make it to the UFC. And then once he got in the UFC, Hats off to him, man. I mean, the run that he went on and the ability that he has shown to win fights and the fight IQ and just his skill set overall, he deserves to be here in this spot. But I think he's up against it here with Crute. I think Crute is on the rise. He's only 25 years old. We continue to see him get better. I think he's more explosive and dynamic on the feet. I think he's got the wrestling ability to take this fight to the floor. On the ground, it's going to be interesting. I mean, obviously, we've seen, even though Smith has been submitted, I think, four times throughout his career, he still has pretty decent submission defense overall, and he's going to make it a fight and not just get ragdolled to the ground in most cases as well. So Smith presents a lot of problems for Crude, and this is a good test for him. And I think this is a test he could pass, though. And I think this is the type of fight that's going to kind of excel him with the W here into the upper echelon and the title shot eventually here if he continues to kind of trend towards that direction. And I think he does have that ability. So I think he comes in and gets a marquee win over Smith. I do think as the line progresses and it gets way over 220, um, you have to be careful here at the betting window for sure because you have to respect Smith has been in there with some great competition. And it's not going to be an easy win for Crute if he does get the W here, which I'm expecting him to do. I think it's going to be a hard-fought battle. Maybe he gets a finish. Maybe he wins on the scorecards. But I do he's, see him winning, and I think it's a favorite or pass situation, especially at minus 155 or under minus 200. I think there's no question you have to lean towards Crute. So my pick is Crute to get the W over Smith. Now, Smith still absolutely is dangerous, as evidenced by his last win over Devin Clark, picking up that triangle choke um, in November. So you can't screw around with this guy. But I think Jimmy Crute is in a good position. Um, Crute is young. He's on that rise. He's aggressive. He pushes a strong pace. He has a pretty good ground game. You know, he has picked up a, a few uh, submission wins, including submitting... Paul Craig of all people. So the guy is capable on the canvas. Just don't leave your neck out or something silly like he did in the Sirkunov loss. But for the most part, he has shown to be an effective striker with power. He's shown to be durable. He's shown to have good wrestling and he's shown to have some pretty good grappling. Uh, I think this guy is a bit of the, the complete package. Now, Anthony Smith is extremely dangerous. He has uh, good power on the feet. He has good striking technique and he has, uh, you know, some good submission skills. So he's going to be very dangerous. But I think the biggest thing going against Smith is he slows down and fights. You saw it in the, the Glover Teixeira loss. He started great in that first round. He was light on his feet. 
everything was popping. And then the second he started to slow down, Glover completely took over. And it wasn't just because Glover got takedowns and beat him up from top position. Glover was lighting him up on the feet too. So I think that's what happens here. I think Smith is going to be very competitive early in this fight while he's fresh. And then the second he starts to slow down, I think Kroot is just going to completely overwhelm him with that youthful, exuberant energy that he has. Uh, you know, this guy should be able to take Smith's best shot early. And then as Smith starts to slow down and maybe those shots aren't coming in quite as uh, crisp and snappy as he'd like, that's when Kroot just starts laying it into him. Maybe Kroot gets a finish along the way, but I do think at least he wins the last two rounds and takes a decision. So my pick is going to be Jimmy Kroot. Now, dropping down to the middleweight division, we have Chris Weidman, who is 15 and 5, taking on Uriah Hall, who is 16 and 9. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Hall open minus 135, Weidman plus 115. At Circus Sports as we speak, it's minus 132, Weidman, Hall at plus 112. So line flipped. Some sharp action actually coming in on Weidman as well along the way, so it's not just all public action. Man, it's tough, man. This is definitely a difficult one for me to pick because, I mean, in 2021, Weidman is not the same fighter that I bet on against Anderson Silva to dethrone the champ and then to actually hold the title again once they rematched. So, I mean, that's the kind of skill set that his win over Machida in his prime. I mean, Weidman was one of the best middleweights that I've seen compete as far as well-rounded skill sets too. I think, I mean, it's a shame that his conditioning and his career kind of took a downward spiral, sort of speak, um, because I was expecting a lot more from him, but it is what it is in 2021. I don't think he is the same fighter that he once was. Um, I give him a lot of credit digging deep and getting that win um, in his last fight. I think it was much needed and he did do what it took to actually steal that round and, and maintain control on top position over a very solid opponent. I mean, so he does have a little bit left in the tank and I think a lot of people believe that he's going to implement that same type of game plan here against Hall as he did against Ekmanov in his last fight. Hall's takedown defense continues to improve, but he has been put on his back, you know, in the octagon we've seen it time and time again. So that's definitely the path to victory for Weidman. I think standing, obviously, Weidman has enough power to clip people and put him out still. He's he's not losing that power. It's just he's not as sharp as he once was on the feet, though, I think. And Hall's actually been fighting better. If you look at him as, as he progresses in age, I think mentally he's gotten better. I mean... Knocking out Anderson Silva, I understand it's a declining Anderson Silva, but his win against Antonio Carlos Jr. in a back-and-forth type of fight, in a, in a fight that he got tested and proved that he can sprawl brawl, keep the fight upright, and do some damage along the way for the most part. I mean, I think that we're going to see a lot of the same aspect of things here in this fight. So Weidman's going to try to come in here and take this fight to the ground. I think he might have success early on. I think he might actually get stifled as the fight progresses though and Hall is going to have opportunities to possibly win this fight and let's not forget this was a fight that once took place before their UFC careers um, even started I mean they so this is kind of a redemption fight for Hall because he does have a loss um, early on in his career against Weidman not, you know throw that out the window I know these guys are completely different fighters at this point but the point being is despite sharp action coming in on Weidman a lot of good opinions are going that way I could see it happen but I'm just not so sure, man. I mean, I think Hall's been fighting better as of late, and I'm just going to go with what I've seen. So I think Hall's going to be probably too much for Weidman at this stage of his career, and I'm going to pick him to win this fight. So my pick is Hall, and it's going against the grain right now, but I'm okay with it. And I'm going to go the other way. Now, I'm not particularly confident here. Um, this is not the same Chris Weidman as Nick said. Um, 
because, you know, back when they fought the first time, this was very early in their careers. Um, you know, Hall and Weidman fought back in 2010, literally 10 and a half years ago. Um, and Weidman actually knocked Hall out on the feet. And he's shown to be a pretty good striker throughout his career, but the striking has definitely fallen off a little bit as he's gotten older in the fight game. Um, he was showcasing some improvements in the stand-up, a good jab at everything, and then he started just getting clipped and hurt and finished, and he hasn't really been the same um, ever since Luke Rockhold finished him with a ground-and-pound, because then you had Ro Romero knock him out with a flying knee, Musasi knock him out with knees, um, then Jacare clipped him and knocked him out, and then Dominic Reyes uh, knocked him out. So... I'm definitely very concerned about Chris Weidman's chin and durability at this point. Um, if he screws around on the feet with Uriah Hall, I think he probably gets knocked out. Um, you know, even in his win over Kelvin Gastelum, he got dropped in the first round. So uh, he's honestly not looked particularly good since he lost the belt. Um, that last win over Akhmedov, I mean, he had to dig deep to uh, overcome uh, you know, exhaustion. I mean, it was tied one-to-one. -one. It looked like Akhmedov had more gas left in the tank, and then Weidman picked up the the takedown and held top position and won the decision. Uh, and that was a hard-fought, tough decision uh, against a, a, a good grappler. Now, against Uriah Hall, he's going to have to do the same thing because Hall is a seasoned striker at this point. He's been on a bit of a roll at he's fighting at about the highest level he's fought in his entire career. I mean, you look three wins in a row, Bevan Lewis, Antonio Carlos Jr. Somebody that is a good grappler with good wrestling and good top control. And he was able to, to eke out a split decision against him and then knocked out Anderson Silva. So uh, he's fighting very well right now. And if Weidman screws around too long on the feet, I think he does get clipped and knocked out. So uh, Weidman is going to have to get those takedowns, get top position, and go to work. He has excellent jiu-jitsu, good top position, and pretty good uh, ground and pound. So if he can get Hall on his back, I think the path to victory is right there. I mean, we've seen multiple people do this to Hall throughout his career, whether it was uh, Musasi in the rematch, uh, whether it was... Uh, you know, even Kelvin Gastelum way back on the Ultimate Fighter finale, just takedowns. They they can fluster Uriah Hall. So I think Weidman does get the takedowns, but I'm extremely nervous that if he starts to gas or if he is missing out on the takedowns and he just does not have that same explosion, that Hall lights him up. So my pick is Weidman, but I have very low confidence in it. Now... Dropping down to the women's flyweight division for a title fight, we have the champion, Valentina Shevchenko, who is 20-3, taking on Jessica Andrade, who is 21-8. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Shevchenko, minus 335, Andrade, plus 275, and right now at Circus Sports, we have... Shevchenko minus 455, Andrade at plus 365. Man, if you guys were able to get Shevchenko minus 335, hats off to you. Fire away, baby. Anything under 400, fire away. Anything under 500, fire away. I know I'm sounding crazy, but that being said, it's just it's such a tough matchup for Andrade. Look, I have respect for Andrade. 
she was once a champion, as we know, so she's got that championship pedigree. She's got power on the feet. She's got a pretty decent offensive ground game to go along with it. So you have to respect it. I just don't know where she's better than Shevchenko here. If she doesn't get a flukish type of a flukish type of stoppage, how does she win this fight? Is she going to be able to get the takedowns time after time again and, and get on top? I don't think she does. I think Shevchenko is a better wrestler here. I think she's a better striker here. I think she can get a highlight reel knockout here as it progresses. Andrade defensively on the feet takes some punishment. She can dish it out again offensively. We've seen that. So you got to be concerned a little bit about that if you're laying high chalk. But, man, I mean, there's no woman at 125. There's no female fighter at 125 pounds these days, in my opinion, that that is better than Valentina Shevchenko. She is the best in this weight class by a mile. So, again, things happen. We see some flukish results sometimes. It's a fight game. It's a sport. You never know, but I mean, I find it really hard to believe that Shevchenko loses this fight, so I think she has multiple paths to victory here, and I think, honestly, the price is still probably a little bit too low. Yeah, no disrespect to Andrade. I just think this is a tough stylistic matchup for her and for most ladies, so Shevchenko is my pick. Yeah, this one's pretty straightforward. I mean, Andrade is a great fighter, and she might be the second best woman at 125, but that gap between number two and number one in the women's flyweight division is, I think, the biggest gap between any woman at any division. I mean, it, it might even be bigger than Amanda Nunes over everyone else at 135. Um, Shevchenko is just that good. On the feet, she's the most technical striker in the division with power, mixes it up amazingly. And then on the ground, her wrestling is top-notch, her jiu-jitsu is top-notch, she just really does not seem to have flaws. Um, so as long as she is taking Andrade seriously, um, we've seen Andrade get knocked out already. We've seen Andrade get submitted already. I think Shevchenko can win this any way she wants. Um, Andrade is aggressive. She can has good conditioning. She's got power. She has good pace. There's so many things to like about her. But when she faces really good technical fighters that don't wilt under her pressure. I mean, she just really struggles. So I think Shevchenko uh, fights, feels her out and uh, lands some good strikes early and then just picks it up. And when she zeroes in, I think she's going to really put a hurting on Andrade and find a finish along the way. So my pick is going to be Shevchenko. Now, moving on to the co-main event of the evening in the women's strawweight division, we have the champion, Wiley Zhang, who is 21-1, taking on former champion Rose Namajunas, who is 9-4. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Zhang, open minus 200, Namajunas plus 170. Right now at Circus Sports, we have Zhang minus 200, plus 175 on Namajunas. A lot of two-way action coming in this fight. More so on Namajunas, but the line is staying kind of high. So I think we're going to continue to see two-way action in this fight. Namajunas, as a dog, is always tempting. I mean, she's such a skilled fighter, former champion in her own right. Two wins over JJ. I mean, her credentials are right there. You cannot argue how skilled this lady is. I mean, fun to watch. She's made me some money. I respect her game for sure. Zhang impressed, though, against JJ in her last fight, man. I, I tell you what, I, I was on JJ. I felt JJ could have snuck away with the win there, but I think Zhang did enough in that fifth round to steal the fight. It was close enough. Coin flipped up a fight. The value was definitely on JJ in that spot. I still feel to this day, but you cannot argue Zhang pulling out that win. And for me, I needed to see it. I needed to see Zhang get tested like that because there were still a lot of question marks for me coming into the fight because she was blowing out most of her opponents. I mean, she didn't really get that quality 
dig deep type of moment in, in her career that that would put her, in my opinion, in, in that upper echelon and that championship pedigree type of fighter for me. And she did that against JJ. So I think she's only going to be more confident here. She's only going to get better here from here on out. Nama Yunus has been inconsistent throughout her career, especially mentally. There's some issues with her that, I mean, she seems focused in this fight, but we've seen her at times that maybe she, I don't know. It's not fair. I can't speak for her, but it just seems like she's not as focused as you'd like her to be in some spots. So she's been up and down. I think if she got the mental and the conditioning down a little bit better, I think she would have a little bit more success. So with that said, I think we're going to see a, a pretty competitive fight in round one, round two. But as this fight progresses, I think Zhang's going to take this fight over. She's going to do more damage. I think she's going to land more punishment. And I think she's going to bust Nama Yunus up and probably win clearly three rounds, maybe even four rounds of this fight and win on the scorecards, maybe even finish Nama Yunus on, on the way to the scorecards, because I think the punishment she's going to dish out is going to be something that Nama Yunus is not going to like too often. So we'll see how it goes. I think it's a favorite or pass situation. I'm going to pick Zhang to win. And I'm going to go Zhang as well. Um, the main thing here is I think these girls are going to be extremely competitive early. I mean, Rose Nama Yunus in the first round is one of the most dangerous fighters in the women's strawweight division. I mean, she is light on her feet. She has snap on her punches um, and she has power. And she also clearly has a really nasty jujitsu game. I mean, she is a very talented, dangerous fighter. The problem is she just can't keep that same uh, ability for extended periods. Uh, You saw it in uh, the Andrage, the, the first Andrage fight when, uh, Rose was just piecing up Andrage, and then she started to slow down. Andrage was able to close the distance and slammed her and knocked her out. Uh, and then the second fight, which Rose won by split decision, she started strong again, but then Andrage came on and won the last round, and you could argue, you know, p- perhaps even won the fight. It was close. Uh, we've seen this kind of time and time throughout Rose's career that she is an extremely good starter, but... Uh, the second she starts to slow down, I think uh, that's going to leave some big openings. Uh, Zhang has shown some really good durability. Uh, she had, you know, one of the best women's fights ever against Joanna. Um, I mean, she just tore through Andrade. So I don't think it's going to be easy, but I think after a very competitive first round or two, uh, Zhang either pulls away and wins the final three rounds to seal it, or maybe even finds a finish along the way as Rose starts to slow down. So my pick is going to be Zhang, but I wouldn't be stunned to see Rose be extremely competitive in those first two rounds and it perhaps even find a finish along the way. But my pick is still going to be Zhang. Now, this brings us to the main event of the evening in the welterweight division. We have Kamaro Usman, who is 18-1, the welterweight champ, rematching Jorge Masvidal, who is 35-14. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Usman opened minus 300, Masvidal plus 250. Right now, Circus Sports, Usman minus 400, Masvidal plus 325. Market-wide, minus 450s, minus 435s, plus 365s, 375s. There are some, definitely some higher pricing out there on Usman. I get it. Look, especially we saw the blueprint laid out. We saw how Usman could beat Masvidal. None of us were surprised by it. Honestly, laid the chalk. I've said it on a few shows already. Minus 230, 235 on Usman the first time out. I was fairly confident he'd get the W, and he did. 
this time around, I'm not laying four to one. I'm not laying minus 400 or above on Usman to get the W here. I think if anything, Usman can probably do the same type of game plan that he came. That's what he's going to try to do. He's not going to look, he can say whatever he wants, but he's not going to strike with Masvidal, at least not long-term. I mean, he can have success. He's getting better. He's got that power on the feet that maybe can he clip Masvidal, put him out. Of course he can. I mean, he's got that wrestler strength and he's getting more confident in the striking, but that's not the path to victory for him. I don't think Whitman's going to let him strike with Masvidal because that's Masvidal's only path to victory. Really? I mean, unless Masvidal can keep this in space and just not point him on the feet, which a lot of us suspect he cannot at this point, because Usman's going to, again, even if he can't get the take, He's going to grind him up against the cage. So I expect it to pretty much go along the lines of last time and, and be a similar type of fight. But I think Masvidal is going to have more opportunities in this fight, and he's going to know that he has to let his hands go. He's going to know that he's, he needs to land a crazy knee. He's going to know that he has to finish this fight and keep it in his space as long as he possibly can. So I think a few tweaks to his game, he might be a little bit more likely to do that. So I think he's a little bit more dangerous in this spot than he was the first time around, believe it or not. Even with the short notice, all the stuff, I, I get it. But as far as a pure pick goes, of course I got to pick Usman. I mean, I think it's more likely that he grinds out Masvidal again. But the value, I don't think, is there at minus 400 on Usman at this spot. So at the betting window, again, it's all about value. And is the value there at minus 400? I don't think it is. I mean, a lot of Bigger players, a lot of sharp betters are not hesitating to lay Usman at minus 400, but we are going to get a lot of play on Masvidal as the line progresses from, again, some sharps and some public action as well. So we'll see where this line closes. I expect it to probably stay around minus 400 or so. The pick is Usman. And I do think that uh, Usman is in a decent spot here. Uh, the, the main thing is he still has those elite skills. He has the great wrestling, he's strong in the clinch, and he does have some improving striking. Uh, Masvidal, he's explosive, he has some power on the feet, some really good striking technique, but he does get neutralized if taken down or pushed into the fence. And I think Usman is going to be going to work there. The only thing I'm really concerned about is the fact that Usman's last fight against Gilbert Burns, while it was an incredible performance, and he got a great stoppage against Burns. Um, he did mainly do that on the feet. And if he gets a little overconfident in his stand-up, then that could open up an opportunity for Masvidal to just clip him and take him out. Uh, Masvidal does have some good power, and we've seen him finish guys that I did not expect him to be able to finish. So uh, Usman has to be careful about playing with fire here because uh, Masvidal uh, could, it could be lights out. We saw Usman get hurt for the first time in his career against Burns. I mean, he practically got dropped uh, right away early in that first round. I was pretty nervous. And then, you know, he turned the tide and looked amazing after that. I mean, his jab was like a piston. And uh, if he focuses on that jab, uh, then I think the standup will actually be okay. But if he, uh, you know, screws around a little bit, then he could get himself in some trouble. Um, but I'm going to pick Usman. I just think that he neutralizes Masvidal with the wrestling and the clinches. And when they are in the standup, I think he's going to fluster him with that jab. Uh, and I think that he's smart enough not to duck into a flying knee or anything like that. So Usman is going to be my pick. He probably wins by decision. So that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC 261. 
Uh, if we have any free plays to give out, make sure to follow at MMAOB Premium on Twitter because that's where we'll post them first. We also have the free bets tab on the top of MMAOddsBreaker.com, so make sure to check that out. And remember to check out MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend. <laughs>